All right, we're back. It's time for another podcast. Uh, this is Rob, your host with uh, my uh, co-host, Jason Marlowe, and it is the Ketogenic Bodybuilding Podcast. Remember to go to robgoodwin.com, the official home of Ketogenic Bodybuilding, for all the social media links and all that horse shit. Follow, share, and you know what to do there. So onward. Uh, we were going to do a Q&A show today, but we decided not to because... We were fortunate enough to have our calendars line up with uh, a guest today, and we're really excited to have Daniel Friedel on today, and uh, say hello, Daniel. Hello. Daniel is not only a uh, key player trainer here at our brick-and-mortar gym, Original Workout, but uh, he's. Uh, we're also very fortunate because he's very gifted in uh, several aspects of training, and uh, some of it, I think, is going to be an interesting uh, topic to cover today. He, uh, and I'll just let him kind of explain what his background is and where he's coming from. And then my goal today is, you know, knowing the importance of what he does, I'd like to kind of discuss how we can mingle in some aspects of that into more of the hard training community, the bodybuilding community, and how anybody can take advantage of his approach, what he, uh, his ideology and what he advocates. So Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so basically my background has been in functional fitness um, for a long time. I was actually, uh, I don't know, I think 15 or 16 when CrossFit came out. And, you know, I got tied into that pretty heavily. But again, that was the beginning principles before (laughs) everything kind of changed. But no, I've always been into martial arts. I started karate at a very young age, um, fell out of that not long after and then i always tried to find something to kind of feed that need for it so i started in muay thai and western boxing did that for a while kind of got sick of waking up with a headache seven days a week (laughs) so i decided to try jujitsu which was always sold as the gentle art and 11 years later i'm still in jujitsu there's nothing gentle about it but it's always been fun so yeah um, so after a lot of uh, concussion protocols now you decided to go to jiu-jitsu <laughs> no percussion <laughs> protocols i was just very young <laughs> i probably got some dead cells hanging around in there so why what are they, why do they call it the gentle art because mm. it's i would have never named it that yeah. or coined well, that i mean one of the big things about it and it is more gentle than most because you can go 100 percent on your training partners without hurting them you know what i always tell people about um, myself and professor beber is we've been trying to kill each other for 10 years now and we've never really injured each other you know what i mean like yeah. you can strangle somebody as hard as you want to you're not going to break their neck unless you're trying to break their neck yeah. same thing with arm bars but whenever you do even situational sparring rounds for striking like somebody's going to get kicked you're going to leave with bruises you're going to leave with maybe some busted ribs so that's kind of where the gentle art aspect of it comes from but yeah i mean if you're going putting in competition rounds or if you just feel good that day and want to turn it up like i mean there's a risk of being injured you know well for our listeners who aren't familiar with it explain a little bit about how jujitsu is different from other martial arts and you know, people often think of, you know, MMA and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does jujitsu fall in line? And just for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with it, explain a little bit more about it. Yeah, so jujitsu is a grappling based martial art. So basically, think about, you know, wrestling, like your high school wrestling, except with jujitsu, there are no pins. You go until somebody taps or, you know, goes to sleep, basically gets choked unconscious. So it's wrestling with joint locks and chokes and strangles. So if you're watching a, a UFC fight, for instance, 
when they go to the ground, that's more the jujitsu aspect. Yeah, the correct? boring part where people are yelling, stand them up, stand them up. That's the jujitsu part. And uh, when they're up and just striking, is that what, mm-hmm. what would that mimic? Yeah, so uh, basically anytime you have the strikes in there, you know, your punches, kicks, knees, elbows, that isn't considered a part of jujitsu. But with the jujitsu that we teach is the fundamental self-defense aspect of jujitsu. So while we aren't going over jab and cross techniques and learning how to tie that into head kicks, we do want all of our students to feel comfortable if they get into a confrontation. Right. You know, so we definitely show people how to deal with punches, even if you're flat on your back and, you know, your opponent's sitting on your chest trying to knock your teeth out we want them to know how to handle that so we do situational sparring drills in the self-defense aspect of it but when you talk about pure sport jiu-jitsu there's no strikes so a lot of people see jiu-jitsu as the ground art but there's a ton of grappling that happens standing too okay so with muay thai you have what they call the plum or americans call it the clinch that's where i basically grab the back of my opponent's head and it's a great way to break their posture down knee them in the face knee them in the stomach throw some elbows in there but when i started jiu-jitsu that's the only takedown that i could finish <laughs> was i'd basically get them in a muay thai clinch and then just trip them and then go to the ground from there because you know my wrestling was terrible i didn't really know a lot of like judo throws or how to use the gi but i knew this one thing that i used a lot in muay thai so it kind of crossed over into it and it worked great from there well cool um so separate from the jujitsu you know you're a a full-time coach and a trainer and uh how does what you do in the gym with clients how does that differentiate between that and your jujitsu how do you separate the two or do you or is it purposely do they are they interwoven Hmm. They can be. Um, the one thing that about or the one thing about training clients is everybody has different goals. You know what I mean? And anytime we bring a client in, it doesn't really matter what I think they need, though I will work those aspects in, especially if they have a deficiency or if we're working with an old injury, then I'm definitely gonna give them what they need, but you always want to do your programming geared towards what their goal is. You know, I've got a couple long distance athletes, I've got a couple <clears throat> excuse me, obstacle course athletes and some general fitness people to where I can definitely work in the functional training and the mobility training with all of my injured athletes that I get. And, you know, I've got a lot of, like I work with a lot of local um, chiropractors, massage therapists, acupuncturists, things like that to where they'll send me clients to work on a deficiency or maybe to build up some core strength so they'll stop having low back pain or maybe to get them more limber. So it's always going to be geared towards that. But that still fits in the functional fitness modality. You know what I mean? So if I get somebody in here who has a bodybuilding show coming up, then I'm going to train them a lot differently than, you know, Kay, who's trying to mobilize her ankle so she won't (laughs) fall every other day. So, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be goal oriented towards the client. And sometimes I'm, I'm sure you've had this many times. You'll get some clients come in here that set some unhealthy goals for themselves and you try to get them to see the healthier aspect of things. So it really depends on that stuff, you know? And like uh, like I said, I got into CrossFit in its early inception back when it was true functional training. It's kind of moved on since then. Um, after that, I got into bodybuilding for a little bit. Um, I did a teen bodybuilding show when I was 17. Ended up doing terrible because I had no clue what I was doing. Imagine that. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, I got into mountain racing not long after that. I've done men's physique shows. I've done a lot of jujitsu grappling competitions. I kind of just spread it out, man. I want to try everything. You know, I love the niche that I'm in, but I also think it's important, especially being on the trainer and coach side of things, that you kind of dabble in everything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I spent 
almost a decade doing cycling and running and mm. all that kind of shit. And I learned a ton and then just sort of fell back in love with heavy training and bodybuilding again. So, but mm. um, I would never trade the experience I had working in those endeavors uh, for the world because it meant a lot to me. And I'll never rule out getting on a bicycle again because mm. I really enjoyed cycling. Yeah. Um, too fucking big now and it would just be <laughs> ugly as shit and even when i did it back then you know i've always been more of a muscular guy and and always had trouble leaning out so on a climb i would just get my ass kicked yeah. but i made up for it because when we got to the flats i would always go out in the front and pull everybody because i could go fast as shit mash flat down because on i had it. a lot yeah. of muscle so it was a real give and take. So I think most of the guys were just using me to catch a break. <laughs> You're the windshield. Yeah, let's, let's put that big slow fucker that can't climb out in front and let him uh, pull us like a fucking uh, engine on a, hey, on a train. Hey, but, uh, shake and bake. Shake, shake and bake, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if all the other guys were Ricky Bobby, I was, uh, what was his name? Uh, Nobody oh. remembers his name. <laughs> that was the whole purpose of the movie. Cal. Cal. Cal Naughton Jr. That, that was me inside. I, I suck so bad at climbing, but I made up for it on the flats. But that, and that's probably why I got back into bodybuilding because I got tired of sucking so bad at something that I was doing all the time. I thought, well, I'll go back to doing something I'm actually good at. So, or at least genetically, you know, built for. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, so, in addition to jujitsu and, and your training style, you know, obviously a big part of what you do and a big reason why I have you on here is to talk about your work with kettlebells. Mm-hmm. Because here in our little, you know, neighborhood here in our area, geographically, you're known as the kettlebell guy. Yeah. Uh, whether you want to be or not, you are. I, love I think it. it's a good thing. Um, just go on a deep dive here and kind of give us kettlebell 101 uh, just as quickly as you can, as succinctly mm. as you can for our listeners out there. Because the majority of the people listening to this right now, you know, are working hard in the gym. They like to train heavy. And they may see those little things sitting over in the corner and that one freak over there that's doing all these, you know, flinging shit around and doing all this stuff. And maybe explain, you know, basically your background, why you love it, the fundamentals of it. And then I really want to get at how we can cross some of that over Mm -hmm. to the hard training, more hypertrophy driven athlete so they can benefit from that as well. I know I just painted a broad picture here, but uh, just kind of work us into what it is, what it's about, the fundamentals, and then then we'll cross into how we can apply it to everyone. Yeah. So with kettlebell training, you really have three schools of thought, right? You have what's called GS, which is Gervik sport. Gervik is Russian for kettlebell man. Girva is kettlebell woman. So with the sport aspect, you really just do the long cycle, which is the double kettlebell clean and press. And that's it. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I absolutely hate that because the technique always breaks down during competition. So if you're training the same way you compete, much like CrossFit, you're going to have a higher incident rate. You're going to have a higher injury rate and you're going to break the form down to where you know, you don't really see it anymore. So if you watch any type of kettlebell sports stuff, understand those are competitions. Like they do train that way and it's not necessarily a safe practice, but that's the way they've been doing it forever. And it's just ingrained, you know? And then you have the the fancy mobility guys to where, you know, they get the 20 pound kettlebell and you see them do backflips and splits (laughs) and basically dancing with a kettlebell in their hand. (laughs) And then you have the strength side of things. So that was really what I came up in. They call it the hard style. So uh, Pavel Sitzelin, he talks a lot about that. Steve Maxwell, um, Mike Cotter, a couple of the other guys. But that's really the smallest niche in kettlebell because, you know, kettlebells can be heavy too. 
and people don't see that. Most fitness. Did ca- you know that Jason kettlebells can be yes, heavy? Yes, I have done quite a few walking <laughs> lunges on kettlebells, and so the seventies yeah. are quite heavy. Yes, <laughs> yes, they are. But a lot of fitness um, facilities and stuff, you know, you'll see a twenty-five pound kettlebell, and that's the max. The other ones are like yeah, little fives, ten, token 15s. kettlebell in the corner. Yeah, yeah. 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 just to say yeah. they have kettlebells. You know, here right. we have some forty-eight kilos, which are one hundred and six pounds. Well, yeah, piece. we've got kettlebells here <laughs> that you could knock a building down. With. Yeah, they could put on the end of a wrecking ball chain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So with the strength, you're always going to have mobility worked in with that. You know, but a lot of people will see kettlebell, and even there's a couple companies out there, and I've sent a couple of them emails to where they have kettlebell listed under their conditioning equipment. So it's like kettlebells, plyo boxes, jump ropes. I'm like, wait, you you know you sell heavy kettlebells on this website, right? And that can be listed under strength. I would yeah. never go there. I, don't, yeah. I would never think to go there. Yeah, but that's what people see it is, is a strict conditioning tool, you know? But Eugene Sandow, the father of modern oh, yeah, bodybuilding, absolutely. he lifted rocks at the creek. Damn right. Progressive overload doesn't matter what style of weight you have in your hand. Weight is weight, right? Yeah, weight is always going to be weight. You can get pretty strong on just body weight stuff. You'll For have sure. to use some advanced techniques, obviously. You can't just use push-ups, pull-ups, and uh, squat but you can always increase the strength no matter what and the one thing i love about the kettlebell is more towards the i say conditioning and strength because you can make it fight you you know a kettlebell is not well balanced like a dumbbell or a barbell every movement you do the kettlebell is trying to fly out of your hands it doesn't want to be seated and comfortable it makes you want to fight to hold on to it throughout the entire movement even just doing incline presses with kettlebells mm-hmm. feels way different than with a dumbbell because the weight is actually behind your hand and not centered right. flat in your palm you know well, that's so, the one thing i was actually going to bring that up but you beat me to it uh one thing i loved about john meadows rest in peace is uh, he, there was like always three or four movements where he would literally say on his channel, on his video, I prefer kettlebells with this movement. Yeah. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And even as brilliant as he is and influential as it is, I'd love, he was so honest. He'd be like, I can't tell you why it's any different necessarily, <laughs> but it's just different. And I, I for one, and I, we should do it more when I did uh, flies. With oh, kettlebells dude, yeah. changes everything totally different than yeah. with dumbbells and i don't like dumbbell flies mm-hmm. i like cables i like bands and i like the kettlebell and we should do more of that because it's, it completely changes the motion is there a real scientific reason for that or is it yeah so basically think about you know one way of increasing resistance is increasing or decreasing leverage mm-hmm. right so think about doing a uh, overhead press you know, you can do an overhead press with 40 pounds fairly easily. We're talking about dumbbells here. Overhead press 40 pounds fairly easily. Now think about doing an anterior raise with 40 pounds. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like that lever's three foot long. Sure. So think about holding a sledgehammer. You hold it by the handle or by the bottom of the head. It's very easy to move around. But if you grab the tip of the handle sure. where you got a three foot lever before right. you got that eight pounds, it gets heavy as shit. You know? Right. Same thing with the kettlebell. Whenever you do the bottom position of that, you're adding an extra four or five inches between the handle and the bell that's dropping down below you. So think about getting five inches more depth on the resistance, not necessarily the attachment point. Attachment point matters a little bit, but where the actual resistance is, is going to matter a lot right. more in that. So it's yeah. like going deeper every single time. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool. So um, with your programming, and, and I got to mm-hmm. bring this up because... I've kind of been down this road too. You know, we talked about CrossFit initially, mm-hmm. and I know, like with what I do, you know, there's always going to be the people out there that also compare bodybuilding with these knuckle dragging Neanderthal brainless yeah. troglodytes out there, and I have to combat that. 
I'm sure you have to every once in a while when people just say, oh, he just does CrossFit. Yeah. I know you have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. One person that I greatly admire in our industry is a, a guy named Mark Twight, who founded Jim Jones. He was an alpine climber. And uh, he did CrossFit from day one with the OGs. And he's such an intellectual guy. It didn't take him very long to realize there's something not right with this. And he started Jim Jones. You can He's no longer with Jim Jones. It, it shit the bed, too. Yeah. But uh, when he, he you know got pulled away from CrossFit because it had some great limitations, and maybe you can discuss what you think some of those are. I know I have many. And uh, Mark Twight said basically what we did is we took that model and we improved upon it mm -hmm. considerably. How would you separate yourself from CrossFit and what is different about what you do than what your typical CrossFit box would do? Like if somebody was wanting to hire you or was even here locally and said, well, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about working with this Daniel guy because I like his functional training. I heard he does that, but then there's the CrossFit box down the road. What would be your argument to have somebody work with you rather than to do CrossFit? Not that I'm shitting on CrossFit. I mean, it is what it is. I'm more than happy to do that for you. If well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a fan and everybody knows this. I've been yeah. very vocal about not being a fan, but I'm also huge about, hey, you do what makes you happy. And if, if that makes you happy, whatever. Mm. And I've always said CrossFitters are great at doing one thing and that's just doing CrossFit. Yeah. Um, but how would you differentiate yourself or separate yourself and why would working with you be an improvement over going to just to doing the, the wad at the CrossFit down the street? Yeah, so that's one thing about it is, you know, CrossFit in its inception, like I said, whenever Glassman started it, he had a very different vision on it. And he's been very vocal that it has changed yep. greatly over the past 10 years. And he doesn't like the direction it's going. But you tell somebody, you know, it's like, well, you're giving up $20 million a year. <laughs> oh, well, okay. We'll, we'll keep the games going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, so CrossFit, the biggest thing that I see with CrossFit, and keep in mind, this is not every box. I understand that. We have a couple boxes around here to where not only do you have to have your CrossFit certification, but you have to have your USA weightlifting certification as well Good. to do the Olympic lifts, which is awesome. Yep. A lot of places don't do that. And that's the one thing, like I said, I'm more than happy to sit down with any CrossFitter and we can discuss whatever you want to discuss. But the thing about it is anytime you make a certification that is 16 hours long that anybody can take, there's zero prerequisites to the certification. It's one weekend, 1000 bucks. Mm -hmm. That's it. So you get eight hours gym time, eight hours desk time and paperwork. And then you can open up a box. No, you can wow. open up your yeah. own damn gym. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Train so anybody. literally 16 hours of training, mm -hmm. and you can teach people how to do 20 barbell snatches over their head as fast as they can, as heavy <laughs> as they can. Oh, wait a minute. People are getting hurt doing this? Uh, <laughs> weird. <laughs> but I mean, no. how, how many people do we get from CrossFit mm -hmm. that oh, just beat the shit up? Yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're no great. Lie. They're great for moving weight from point A to point B. Yes, but they have no real strength. No, I mean, I'll go ahead and, and mention Caleb. You know, who's yeah. who's been on this podcast a few times, and he's my one of my workout partners. When Caleb first came to me years ago, the guy, I don't think he could bench press one thirty-five, mm -hmm. and he couldn't do more than two or three push-ups. And here was a offensive lineman that was being recruited by colleges that played at a high level in high school that played alongside a guy that just you know got drafted out of alabama all he was doing was crossfit and mm -hmm. his football conditioning mm -hmm. the guy could you know clean you know 225 pounds but it was all momentum yeah you give the guy any sort of strength-based movement whatsoever and he'd just mm -hmm. collapse yeah so we had to sort of reteach him how to be strong and build him basically from the ground up from day one do you find that that's your experience as well yeah 
Yeah, I mean, definitely the one thing that I'll say with most CrossFitters that I've got in, I've got one or two that were still in good health, but they haven't been in CrossFit that long. And like I said, you know, obviously it's a small sample pool. I can't speak for the whole community. But most of the CrossFitters I get in here, I either A, have to fix a shoulder injury previously, or B, I have to mobilize their shoulders to where they can get into a position without snapping there. Mm. You know, I've got a lot of guys who could do a barbell snatch, but you tell them to stand up with their shoulder blades against a wall and then put the palm of their hands on the wall they can't do it if they snap it with some weight behind it their shoulders will get there but they can't physically make them do that and to me the only reason to do olympic lifts is if you want to be an olympic weightlifter you know what's the functional aspect of snatching your body weight overhead and for those of you don't know that's going from a barbell flat on the ground arms fully extended going into a deep squat slash hip hinge exploding up and then finishing the squat with the barbell overhead right all right, so like you ain't getting, you ain't doing that getting groceries or picking up kids, you know. <laughs> so and conversely, it, you're not seeing you walk into any gym in America that's got a top level amateur bodybuilder physique competitor or IFBB pro. You don't see them doing that shit no, either. No, no, they're not going to. And that's the thing about it. You know, I have people do hand cleans occasionally, especially like my combat athletes. So the one thing I love about the hand clean is it gets you used to catching weight. You know, but with the hand clean, you're going to go lighter because you're not coming from the floor. You're coming from basically a bent over row position right below your knees. So you're still getting that explosive hip snap like a kettlebell swing, but you also have to catch the barbell on your shoulders. And one reason why that's great for football players is you've got shoulder to shoulder contact throughout the entire sport. Well, you're supposed to. A lot of times it turns into helmet on helmet, <laughs> yeah. but it's supposed to be shoulder to shoulder. So right. you learn how to catch weight from that position and still maintain stability. Sure. So the hand clean is awesome. But as far as the power clean or the clean and jerk or the full snatch, a lot of that stuff is just an accident waiting to happen. You yep. really have to kind of look at the what they call it, the cost benefit ratio. You know, like how much is this going to hurt you? How much is this potentially going to hurt you or help you? It's like diuretics. Yeah, basically. (laughs) You're going to get maybe a little bit of benefit and really take a hard risk of completely fucking up your life. Yeah. (laughs) I will say, like, honestly, you know, I see, I'm in here five days a week, so I see you working with people and, you know, and I kind of thought that was the whole purpose of a kettlebell was for, like, rehabilitation or to, to, to ease into, you know, a weightlifting kind of thing where, you know, like it's, it's, I don't want to say that the gym's like divided, but you know, I see folks over there in the, in the kettlebell corner doing things that, you know, we don't do, mm-hmm. but then I also understand, okay, well they've either injured themselves at some point or they're mm-hmm. trying, they have a deficiency like you were saying. So, yeah. Yeah. So a lot and, of it too. And one of the big reasons why I love the kettlebell is like I said, it, it's not only the resistance, but it's resisting you as you move it because it is off balance. Right. So when you start talking about building core strength or building, you know, single foot stability, yeah. any type of trunk stability, shoulder stability, the kettlebell is awesome for that because it's not well balanced. Yeah. So a lot, you'll see me do, um, especially on people with low back pain, I'll have them get into a lunge position at the bottom and do clean and press from there. Mm. That way I can isolate the glute and the spinal erectors firing together to get them used to that movement. You know, I'm sure you've seen this over the you know 80 years you've been a trainer (laughs) it's barely 70 (laughs) but one of the hardest one of the hardest human movements to teach anybody man woman child adult whatever's the hip hinge Mm -hmm. like their glutes are made as cushions when your glutes are supposed to be the strongest muscle group in your body so like just teaching a hip hinge is terrible i mean i've had some people been working with me six months and i tell them to hitch hinge over for like a rdl or a bent over barbell row 
and you just see their back automatically curve. Like, Damn it! <laughs> I have spent entire sessions just coaching an yeah. RDL and finish the session and say, "Well, you still don't have it. Yeah. We'll try again next week." <laughs> and then I've been like yeah. four sessions in and been like, "You know, fuck it. We're not doing this exercise. Yeah. It's just not yeah. for you. So no. let's move on." No, let's do some step ups. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean that's it. So like trying to break it down, get somebody teach somebody how to do a proper kettlebell swing. Yeah, it takes a long time, man. Especially yeah. if and I hate this term, but I understand why it's used and it's used a lot in like the rehabilitation circles is gluteal amnesia. They literally forgot how to use their ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's how it works. You know, yeah. most of, especially American life is you use as a cushion. Oh yeah. You're not pushing heavy stuff. Everything's motorized now, yeah. you know? So once you get people to understand that movement and then you can start isolating it with split hip positions. So like the Bulgarian split squat or right. the lunge position, clean and press or anything like that. You know, if you want to work into like the mobility side of things, Turkish get up. That's mm-hmm. an excellent movement to get people to understand appropriate. I will reception, never do another one. Balance. Yeah. I did the Jim Jones challenge of doing a hundred of them. <laughs> And after I finished, I said, I will never do that again for the rest of my life. <laughs> Even at gunpoint. Fuck that shit. I'll never do it again. <laughs> no, I love it. But the Turkish get up, it gets a lot of flack because a lot of uh, people love it. You know, the whole do it for the gram thing. <laughs> and you watch their Turkish get up form and it's just terrible. A true Turkish get up should take you about 45 seconds per rep. All right. So I'm not saying like punch the kettlebell up, stand up as fast as you can, then drop back and nail your noggin on the floor. But basically, you should be able to stop at any position in the Turkish get-up. If you cannot hold the bell above your head with your shoulder blades flat on the ground, go to a standing position and come back down and literally stop anytime somebody yells stop, you're not doing Turkish get-up right. Well, that was a great thing about Twight and Jim Jones is he had such an emphasis on form and technique. And going back to, you know, you're differentiating your training with the local CrossFit box. Would you say that's the number one thing is if somebody came to you, they're going to get coached meticulously through the techniques and not really be released to be haphazard with it until they've got it down to a science, right? Yeah. So the main thing that I learned whenever I became a personal trainer was my technique don't matter for shit. It's what I can coach somebody else's technique. Oh, absolutely, 100%. So the big thing that I uh, learned within my first year of taking on clients was what kind of verbal cues can I give people to get them to understand the technique that I'm trying to get them to do? You know what I mean? Like you tell somebody brace their core, like, okay, and they like grab their core with their opposite hand. I'm like, no, 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 hang on. (laughs) And so you have to learn what attaches to people. Same thing with the hip hinge. One of the biggest verbal cues you'll hear me say with somebody with the hip hinge, especially women, is think about you got a handful of groceries and you got to shut the car door behind you. Yep. And almost instantly they shoot their ass out behind yeah. their heels. Like I, they I, go into the hip. That's my, I have a different thing. My thing is I put them a, a little bit away from a wall and I tell them to kiss the wall with their ass. Yep. And that seems to correct. It's, we're, we do tons of analogies. Yeah. I know you do you them. I do to. them. You have to. Yeah. Just because just I can nail it doesn't mean my next five clients can nail it. So mm-hmm. we've got to. It usually takes a different analogy almost with each person, yeah. too. you got to find what makes them comfortable. Yeah. So. so the big thing is the verbal cues, making sure that their technique remains, you know, maybe not in optimal form, but in a safe form. And from that, once you get the form down, then you start thinking about, okay, how can we work towards the optimal form? You know, do they need to go heavier or do I need to tell them to create a little bit more tension? You know, a lot of people, especially in CrossFit, you know, 
I don't care what they say. You know, they can say all day long that there's no competition in here, but anytime you have names and numbers oh, on a chalkboard, bullshit. it's competition every day. And yep. knowing whether somebody needs to go heavy or not, you can't just ask them, right. especially with a newer client. I can't say, hey, okay, you feel comfortable with that? Let's bump it up. No, you have to look at, A, how hard are they straining? A, are they shaking? Are they starting to yell? Are they like squinching their face up? Like you can tell how much pain somebody's in whenever they do a movement. You know, I've had some people come in here warm up and I see them wince. I'm like, what was that? Like, oh, no, it's just my elbow. Okay, what's going on with the elbow? You know, we got a press day or we got a pull day today. We can't do that with a bum elbow. What's going on with this? You know, so it's really just being able to change stuff on the fly and learning how to read human movement. Right. Once you see somebody moving, you know, say somebody's doing walking lunges and the right knee constantly pulls towards their opposite heel every time they do a walking lunge. Okay, well, the glute meat isn't firing. So right. we got to get that thing warmed up to where it's doing its job so we don't have an MCL injury. Sure. You know, so I mean, it's constantly reading body language. And like with my older clients, you'll hear me talk to them. And we'll have a 30 minute conversation when they're in here and it isn't because i you know necessarily care about what the grandkids are doing <laughs> that day it's because i'm trying to gauge their intensity off the talk test if they start kind of talking to me like this then i know okay we need to back it off a little bit you right. know i'm not going to tell them hey you're going too hard let's back it off because like, no i'm not i can go harder oh yeah you know yeah. You so don't, you just you, yeah. you don't want to attack their ego you no, know exactly you've got to be clever on how you work your way mm-hmm. into those things it's like with me one of the big things is, you know, in the uh, lying leg curl, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see somebody do a curl and their hips shift to the left about four inches God, with every yeah. single curl. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> All right. Hold then up. I immediately go to light unilateral curls from there on because we've got a mm. terrible imbalance in there. Yep. And they don't even know they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got to look for those physical and verbal cues at the same time. So I totally get that. So yeah. and the thing with CrossFit is I've always said you shouldn't be competing in the gym. You should train in the gym to compete outside of it, Mm -hmm. not to compete in the gym. That's just asking for injury and ego trips and all that horse shit. Yeah, I mean, same thing. Think about the bodybuilders that go to failure every single time. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Those are the guys who end up with the most injuries. You know what I mean? Because people see failure as muscular failure. Right. And that isn't it. That's what causes injury. So with y'all, every time I see y'all work out, it's always to technical failure. Exactly. You know, you're not arching your back and biting on your tongue to finish (laughs) out that final bench press. Once the arms can no longer fully extend because the pet give out that's when you stop yeah i would say concentric failure with good form there you yeah. go yes and when then the we, technique breaks down and then we not can work muscle. in some high intensity techniques but that's usually mm-hmm. supervised with a spotter or a partner or whatever and so absolutely yeah, yeah. i was getting yeah. a little offended i thought this whole segment was about me with a poor form <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of this is an intervention <laughs> yeah. it's We're working on that. this whole thing is just an intervention <laughs> to try we're, to help we're not you. even gonna publish this podcast <laughs> me, me and daniel were talking the other day and we were very concerned about it <laughs> yeah so we had this clever idea <laughs> to get you in here on a podcast <laughs> oh, so how so, okay so moving on from that mm-hmm. if you were working with the person that you know, well, like I say, is trying to build that extreme physique. They're hypertrophy based. They're trying to just look good naked. Maybe think about doing a show or whatever, or, or they got a photo shoot and they just aesthetically muscular chiseled, ripped all the shit that we talk about. How would you sprinkle in some of what you do? Not only just in the movements of themselves, like bringing in a kettlebell movement or a certain movement that that you love in that functional realm, but then I also after that I want to talk about. Um, I have a lot of people come to me that are looking to compete 
that are doing these high intensity interval style workouts, which are great, but they're doing them like four or five days a week, but their goal is to compete. So I, I always tell them, let's stick to our very structured gym workouts Then I have them doing their more steady state cardio. But then I'll say, let's just do one, maybe two, but typically one high intensity interval workout to, to do that metabolic work. And that's usually the way I like to approach that with a client. So. First of all, you know, how would you, what would you sprinkle in and how could you incorporate some of this kettlebell slash functional movements into that style of a routine for the people with those goals? Mm. So the first thing we have to talk about is A, intensity and B, working with tension, right? So with intensity, if you're truly going intense, you're not gonna be able to hit four hits in a week. If Absolutely. you're able to do that, exactly. then your intensity is like 60-70% max. Right. Like and and, and their output is not going to support their intake with nutrition no. and it's, everything's just going to fall no, apart. No, you can't recover from something like that. Yeah. You know, So one of the big things that I try to do is get people to understand intensity as a whole. And a lot of that comes with working with tension. Right. So whenever somebody comes in, a lot of times they have no clue what working with true tension feels like. And I'm sure you've seen this. Like We yep. used the bench press as an example earlier, so we'll stay with that. So you got those guys who like they'll drop the barbell down and we're talking about like a you know let's say a six rep max they get on number five and they like look at it and say i just can't get it I'm like well you can't talk if you're actually straining <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what i mean it's like okay let's let's rack this we're going much lighter from here and then you have those guys who i say uh throw a tantrum mm-hmm. like they're pinning their shoulder blades down but their feet start kicking like yeah. a little two-year-old i'm like th- as soon as they get that internal tension built up in their core they don't know what to do with it so they just start kicking their feet yep. thinking that's going to work that doesn't help doesn't plant happen. your feet so the people who know how to work with tension and who are comfortable with tension are the guys who literally get that fifth rep up and you just see that barbell stop and their entire face is crunched up you can tell that their feet are driving through the floor as hard as possible and their elbows start shaking but their hands are tied to the bar yep. that's true intensity and a lot of people don't understand that whenever they work by themselves you need a spotter or a trainer to get you to push into that intensity 100 yeah so once you actually learn what intensity is then you discover like you may be able to hit two hard hit sessions a week unless you're doing you know like zumba or jazzercise then you can do that five days a week because it's very low intensity but one of the things obviously is you have to start breaking down when you're training the muscles and how often you're training the muscles now you can train five days a week and get hypertrophy a lot of hypertrophy is going to be based off your protein intake protein intake your overall caloric intake and you can stay with that 40 to 50 percent intensity and do full body every single day and you will get there but is that going to be the optimal thing you know so with that you can actually break a muscle down to where it requires 48 to 27 hours of recovery time before you can work it again that's what we want so with the minimalist training um and i use a couple different tactics i like to mix things up so you have minimalist training which is basically the minimal effective dose you know like what can i get in here get done to push me towards my goal and then i'm fine after that you know and then you have kind of the bodybuilding style or like the old school bodybuilding style to where you're looking for the maximum effective dose. Anything past that's overtraining. And once you hit that overtraining, you crash your metabolic system, you increase your recovery rate to where you can't get more workouts, right? So whenever you start looking at that intensity, you really wanna stay between 85 and 95% on all of your lifts. That way you're still pushing hard, but you're not pushing hard to the point to where next week or the next workout's gonna be compromised. Right. You know what I mean? So finding that you really have to 
you really have to understand your own body. You know, I mean, the one training principle that stands out over all is consistency. So whenever you're talking about actually getting ready for a show, how can you be the most consistent and still put in the most intensity? That's usually going to be a three or four day body training split. You know, you have your push day, you have your pull day, you have legs. Maybe your legs also go into your pull day because you're doing bent over rows, you sure. mix in some RDL, stuff like that. And then you get your hit training in or your metabolic day on the last day. That way everything's a little tender, but you're going to do some fast paced stuff and you're going to be moving some lighter weight to keep your intensity up, but also to keep your heart rate up. That way you start pumping all the metabolic waste out through the muscle bodies. And that's mm-hmm. actually going to increase your recovery instead of just sitting on your ass drinking a protein shake. 100%. That's why yeah. I always have my clients, regardless of where they are in their periodization, do some level of cardio. Yeah. Because you're going to get benefit from Dude. from a recovery aspect as well. Yeah. You have to, man. And so many people in the bodybuilding community don't do that. And that's why they get into their later years in life, you know, like the 60s and 70s, and they have heart problems. Yeah. Because your heart is a muscle too, but cardiac muscle is very different than skeletal muscle. You have to get long walks in. You have to go yep. for a run occasionally. Ride the bike, whatever you have to do. But if you're constantly going from a resting heart rate of 80 jumping up to 170 because you're on bench press and then letting it drop down then jumping it back up you're literally hitting your heart with heavy resistance and that's what causes cardiomyopathy Mm -hmm. that's what causes a decreased pump volume that's what causes all these later on health issues john perillo i I had the honor and privilege of working with him on several occasions and you know his big thing was uh first of all he was one of the guys that taught me what true failure was mm-hmm. and uh, him and Mike Menser. But before that, I thought I knew. I didn't until I worked with those guys. And then John Perillo would just berate the fuck out of you if you didn't do your cardio. He didn't care if you were a 300-pound mass monster at yeah. the highest level. IFBB Pro, you were doing your cardio mm-hmm. three to five days a week all year. Yeah. And he would lay out all the benefits of cardio even during a mass gain phase, the yeah. obvious benefits during a cut. But if you weren't doing your cardio, he wouldn't even keep you as a client because no. he placed that much importance to it. Yeah, and that's it. And one thing about it is once you learn how to do an intense cardio session, that's going to increase your work volume across the weight training sessions too. Yep. I can't tell you how many people I've had to do a set of push-ups and they get out of breath. I'm like, how often are you running? Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, I need to start running. I'm like, dude, push-ups shouldn't have you huffing and puffing. <laughs> you know, I mean, if a set of 100 bodyweight squats gets you out of breath, you might want to go for a run occasionally. Yeah. You know, because once you build up that metabolic conditioning, that's going to allow you to go heavier with the stuff. And same thing with Twite. Mm-hmm. His uh, gel, uh, gel pipe, tailpipe workout yep. mm-hmm. to where you do the rowing and you hold the kettlebells in the rack position. Mm-hmm. That puts actual resistance on the lungs themselves. Yep. So you're throat feels like it's on fire and your lung feels like it's on fire because you've never used it that much yep. you know how many that's people why he called it tailpipe yeah. it's like exactly. having your lips wrapped around a car's yeah. tailpipe that's how you feel when you're yeah. doing that shit and i can't tell it you how sucks. many clients have come in here and they're like man i used to run but it just makes my throat and my lungs burn i'm like because you've never used them before yep. you've never taken a deep breath that you have to take once you learn how to use your entire lung capacity then you can push a lot harder not only can you obviously work your muscles more because they're more oxygenated but you can create more internal pressure and for a heavy back squat man how many people have you seen pop ribs over internal pressure that's what that is their lungs are so strong that once they strain against that belt that their bone literally gives out Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong that's a terrible injury to have popped ribs sucks but to be able to create that much internal pressure you know that they're going as hard as they literally can they're not getting to the bottom of it and then exhale and just dropping the bar on the safety Right. Rack, you know 
Cool. Cool. Hmm. Good stuff. So, uh, how would you design that if you had somebody doing one hit workout a week mm-hmm. and, you know, combined with their hypertrophy-driven training, their yep. steady-state cardio, what would that look like to you? Mm, I think the big thing we would look at is, A, their muscular physique, see where their deficiencies are. You know, with me, I haven't trained for, I haven't done, like, bodybuild-style splits in a long time, so I knew that my arms were going to be my deficiency. So I was hitting arms twice a week on top of the heavy presses, heavy pulls that hits the arms as well, just because I knew that I needed to try to get a little bit of hypertrophy going beforehand. So with me, I was doing a five-day split, I was doing push, pull, and legs. I wasn't worrying about the cardio because I do jujitsu five days a week. Right. And I mean, that's plenty of cardio right there. So you can say I was doing, you know, an hour of cardio a day, basically. I hit the bike once or twice, but that was more or less to get my legs to heal a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. So just get some more blood pumping through them, some more nutrients. But basically, my day started, or my week started out on Monday was my leg day. And then Wednesday and Friday were my push and pull days. And I kind of swapped those out just depending on the rest of the demand of the week. So I'd move those back and forth. But usually on Friday, whenever I was done with the workout, I would eat lunch. And then about three hours later, I would do the kettlebell conditioning to get a little bit extra in there. You know how you kind of knock out the 100 rep sets Mm -hmm. just to get that muscle tension, try to get a little bit of hardness to come through? That's what I use the kettlebell for. So I would do like swings, overhead uh, presses. And then I would do like a gorilla row mixed in with a bear crawl or something like that just to kind of get everything fired back up because I knew I had two days of rest ahead of me. I still had my Saturday and Sunday. But yeah, with me, my deficiency has always been on my biceps and triceps because I've never really focused on that much. So that was the one thing that I tried to hit pretty often. Like my biceps, they can take you know, a couple heavy days a week. My triceps tend to burn out a little bit faster on that, but you use them so much in presses and whenever I'm in jujitsu, I'm constantly pulling and pushing on people. So they got a little bit in that, but I wouldn't consider that resistance training per se. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, what else? You got anything? Oh, I'm just listening. <laughs> I'm just listening to all the shit I'm doing wrong. <laughs> nah, that's the I'm thing about kidding. it, man. Everything is about goal orientation. You know, if I want to be a bodybuilder, then my training will be very different. Right. Yeah. You know, I want to do jujitsu for as long as I can. So my big thing is A, longevity, and B, you know, if I was doing CrossFit and jujitsu, it'd kind of be a coin toss as to which one had me injured first, you know? Right, right. <laughs> you right. know, but I try to stay away from that. I do mobility training every single day, especially in jujitsu. A lot of jiu-jitsu is based around not only my human body movements but those of my opponent so you have to kind of mitigate where where do i need to push where does my body weight need to be you know like between my orientation and their orientation which one of us can get to the submission faster or which one of us can get to the dominant position faster so it's kind of like mixing cardio with heavy resistance training back and forth constantly you take breaks when you can but with the same thing you know anytime you get a kettlebell if you do like one of my kettlebell flows you'll see like your entire body's on fire and you can't breathe at the same time yeah so it kind of gives you that panic factor like you're in jujitsu and somebody's on your back but it's four minutes in you can barely breathe so everything has to be geared towards it kind of like what you were saying it's kind of what crossfit should be i mean i mean basically you know that that high intensity cardio with you know weight training together if you can do that, those two things, that's kind of what, that's what I envision. Yeah. So, you know, CrossFit is what it should be. So CrossFit as a sport, yes. Because yeah. that's one thing about the CrossFit games is a lot of people don't know what they're going to. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they'll release the, uh, 
basically the qualifying workouts Mm -hmm. for like i think a week or two weeks before the games start so you kind of get an idea as to what they're looking for at the games but when you show up to the games man there's been like seven games to where they literally invented new stuff just to do right like they had that worm that weighed like 300 pounds and it was a team event and like you never know what you're going into Mm -hmm. but in the last crossfit games there was also 12 elite athletes that just stopped they're like i'm not doing this anymore and walked away from you know what i mean so like the athletes are starting to see that hey they're making a ton of money off of our health right yeah you know i mean the rabdo is always going to be a big thing but i think the rabdo is more on the diet aspect of the crossfit games i'm going to tell you nobody is going to walk up there with a 12 pack and have three days worth of energy in them to work out yeah it's just not possible yep. you're going to start breaking down muscle protein at that point yep. so the athletes wanting to look good on camera is one of the things that's actually diminishing their performance you know oh, think yeah. about when you cut down for a show oh absolutely you know like let's say you were you know eight weeks into a cut and then you go to do six hours of physical activity Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you're going to feel like shit. You're probably going to have some metabolic damage oh, because absolutely. of it. Yeah, it'd be very so. detrimental to what, what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So people always like when I'm, you know, four weeks out, people say, man, I wish I looked like you. And I always say, no, you fucking don't. Because <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> it's, it's bullshit. And, the, you know, the internet and social media has made these people out there under you know, 35 believe that you can walk around 365 days a year looking like that. No. And it's such smoke and mirrors bullshit, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I get these obsessed clients that come off of a cut and don't want to go back into a, a caloric maintenance and recomp. And I'm, I just have to pound it into their heads to the point, you know, I, I sometimes have to pick up a phone and say, you need to fucking eat. Yeah. This is going to be detrimental. You cannot live this way year round. Mm-hmm. And the same goes with the overtraining aspect with some of these athletes and, you know, trying to strike that balance between looking like some Greek god that gets likes on or follows on Instagram and functioning in the real world and not tearing themselves apart. Yeah. I mean, it's become a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, diuretics and bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the biggest problems with the competitive side of the sport. And you see some of these coaches, you know, putting these, uh, it's been happening a lot to women because that's the oh, name of, of the game with women. Yeah. So they'll diet them down to an extreme level to the point where they can't even pull themselves out. Then they dump a bunch of diuretics mm-hmm. on top of that and water manipulations. And now we have women literally just dropping dead at yeah. 27 years old. Yeah. yeah. And it's become a real fucking problem. And yeah. I've said from, I've said for 25 years, I don't believe in diuretics. I would never prescribe one. I would never take one because the little bit of benefit you get does not outweigh the risk that's involved. No, but not only that. So with men, and it's a little bit higher for women, but with men, your best testosterone production is between 13 and 18% body fat. Oh, absolutely. So if you walk around 6% body fat, you're tanking your testosterone. Right. So you're not going to be able to 100%. And a lot of that also has to do with the correlation is also with the types of food that you're bringing in. Mm -hmm. You know, I always tell people, you know, obviously we, we follow some ketogenic protocols, but I'm not, you know, eating sticks of butter. But I'm making sure I get lots of egg yolks and animal fat and you know, oh, good healthy doing fats. That healthy keto thing. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's, it's cutting edge. I heard the other one works faster. <laughs> well, me and Jason decided rather instead of putting sticks of butter in our coffee, we're just going to put a stick of butter on a plate and pour a little coffee over it and eat it with a oh, fork. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you know? that'll hit your fat content for the day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like dessert. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> coffee butter. Yeah. <laughs> Not butter in your coffee. Yeah. We do coffee butter. It's that's, fantastic. That's patented, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's, that's trademark uh, ketogenic bodybuilding uh, 2020. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you, any, anything else you see out there that we can make fun of <laughs> from, from oh, your dude, side of the fence? When it comes to fitness industry, <laughs> I've got hours of content. But the one thing to remember, too, is Instagram is full of fake people. No. One thing I want you to do, anytime you find somebody who has the perfect physique, in an Instagram picture, look at their Instagram videos. Oh, I know. I guarantee you, like the Photoshop don't work through yeah, video. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I love. There was a, and there was a huge issue with it with the Shreds athletes. So was it like Joey Swole and yeah. uh, Paige Hathaway? Yeah, Paige Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. Paige Hathaway. Everyone's like, man, she's got like this nice round bubble ass. And then you see a video, I'm like, wait, where'd it go? Where'd the ass go? <laughs> hey, yeah. Hold up. That's not what I saw yesterday. <laughs> and yes, I mean, there's, there's a ton of diuretic use. There's a ton of, you know, the, what they call it, the six-day photo shoot diet yeah, right. to where they go on this crash diet to look good for that. But they're not doing that year-round. Yeah. Same thing with Dana and Bailey. I love Dana and Bailey because of her drive through her workouts. And you can tell whenever she programs workouts, there's true programming. Mm -hmm. It isn't like, cool, we're going to hit five-leg workout or five-leg exercises and call that a workout. She would actually program the muscle failure through there. But one thing about it is whenever you saw the pictures where the lighting was perfect and the skin was a little too perfect and then you see the videos you're like wait a minute whoa there's some magic going yeah, on in yeah. here yeah exactly. Yeah, so yeah. never discount photoshop it's getting very good these days oh absolutely and just the filters alone yeah on, on, on all these apps is just making everybody look like super people yeah and then driving a false you know hope and a false narrative into these kids out there that are think they can mimic that mm. and it just <clears throat> it creates a lot of problems yeah i don't remember uh who said it, it may have been gary v but he said that all social media does is make you compare your blooper reel to their highlight reel. <laughs> you know That's I mean? a good You're one. only seeing the best. Yeah. Like yeah. that picture may look awesome, but the thousand and fifty three before that weren't that great. That yeah. was the well, one there, there, that there's stood a out. term now in competitive bodybuilding called Instagram bodybuilder. Meaning, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts where it's a lot of retired top pros and coaches that are critiquing the sport mm. and giving news about the sport. And a show will come up, like let's say the Tampa Pro. Yeah. And so and so goes to the Tampa Pro, doesn't even make the first call out, places seventh. But if you look at him on Instagram, everybody was saying like two weeks before or a week before, we're looking at this guy on Instagram, we're like, this guy's amazing. You know, he's gonna be top three, this is the guy to beat, and then he steps on stage a week later and he, he's not even close to even getting the first call out. And that's because he's an Instagram bodybuilder. He looks great in the tank top, looks great with the filters, gets in just the perfect lighting, yep. and then it's all smoke and mirrors. And why anybody would do that, I don't know, because you're just putting too much pressure on yourself because if you don't perform on show day, I mean, what's yeah. your excuse? Not only that, but think about it, you know, so look at it as a business aspect. He's probably got 10 million followers right. mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe, 5% of that's actually going to look at what he did at the stage. Right. You know what I mean? Well, like it's easy to be cool online. You know? Uh, don't get me started on the problems with pay and, and bodybuilding. These guys that oh, dude. kill themselves 365 days a year. Mr. Olympia gets, what, 400000 Yeah. 400, there are football players that get that a game. Right. Mm -hmm. And ones that suck in, in comparison. <laughs> What's the league minimum? 250 Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Mean, yeah. And, and 
these promoters are keeping all the money. Mm-hmm. They're packing these shows. They're getting tons of spot, sponsorship dollars. They're keeping all the money, and they're paying these athletes nothing. Oh, so yeah. then they've got to go out and do. They've got to pimp themselves out and do whatever it takes to make a living, because you can't really work a job and be an IFBB pro. I mean, no. it takes all of your time and resources and energy mm-hmm. and effort. Pay these guys. Chris Bumstead might be pound for pound the most popular bodybuilder on earth right now. What is the classic Olympia? What what did? Wasn't like seventy thousand. It was it was under a hundred thousand. Yeah. I think it was like forty thousand or oh, sixty thousand dollars, something like that. And he is the reigning, you know, physique, yeah. Mister Olympia, supposedly the best at what he does on the planet. And That's insane, man. He, <laughs> he, got, he can't even go buy a new fucking car after yeah. he wins that thing. And yeah. then you got some chick on Instagram photoshopped in a thong, making six million oh, a year yeah. selling cookie cutter programs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, you know these promoters, and, and even like the Olympia, the Arnold, and all these top IFBB pro shows. You know, these promoters are just counting money hand over fist, <laughs> and these athletes are killing themselves. You know all year long are getting next to nothing so they have to go prostitute themselves out to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to make a living and it's sad just to be able to stay in the industry that's yeah. the I mean, yeah so. yeah it used to be sponsorships would, yeah. would yeah. you know pave the path but that was in the days of magazines and there well, was no what internet I, was about to ask so, about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it was back in the 90s you'd get a weeder contract or a muscle tech contract and you'd make it on the cover of flex magazine and they would pay you because that was your only way you were appearing to the masses. So kids would buy the magazine, see that this pro who's on this cover shoot took this supplement, and they'd buy the shit out of it. Now you can see your favorite pro on his own Instagram channel or her Instagram channel every day of the week, and there's no real draw for these people to pay the big sponsorship dollars anymore. It's not like it used to be. Damn. I mean, back in my day, back in my day, (laughs) I mean, literally, though, I mean, to gain knowledge back when I was coming up in the sport in the 90s, you had to get in your car and drive to a seminar. That's what we did. Yeah. I drove all over the Southeast, everywhere, up to Ohio. I even went to California and go to seminars. You'd pay three, four hundred bucks and you'd go sit with these top coaches, top pros, and they'd bring in guests and they'd do a lecture. And then you could ask them questions and they might have like some open gym time where they critique what you're doing. That's how you learned. Now you just turn on the fucking internet mm-hmm. and God knows what you're being taught. God knows what to believe. And that's why everybody will go, and I'm sure you see this. Well, I'm gonna hire this coach three weeks later. Well, then I'm gonna go hire this one. And then yeah. three weeks later, now I'm gonna go hire this one because there's so much information overload and we don't know what to believe. And every coach tries to project that they have this revolutionary new program that's never been tried before, which they don't. There are no real original ideas. But that's not what makes a good coach a good coach. You know, it's, mm. it's a whole different thing. So I'm getting off on a rant, but, you know. Oh, that, no, you're good. I didn't know that. I thought a lot of bodybuilding and men's physique was still through sponsorships. I didn't know that. They that get kinda... sponsorship, but the dollars aren't what they used to be. Yeah. Because they know through social media, they don't need Mr. Olympia to push their product to get people to buy it. Gotcha. There's all these other avenues that they get their exposure through social media, through the Internet where the contracts aren't as big as they used to be. It's not as big a deal as it used to be. Mm-hmm. It used to be very simple, you know. Oh, yeah. Joe Weeder has his guy call, you know, one of the top new hot up-and-comers. They pay you, you know, 10 grand a month to push their protein powder in, in yeah. muscle and fitness, and that's where the money came from. Because mm-hmm. the shows have never paid. Right. They've never paid. Mm-hmm. And hell, who was it The Rock is threatening to do some 
big bodybuilding weekend fitness festival thing and one of the things that he said is he's actually going to pay what these guys deserve there's going to be big purses which is going to draw the biggest people and the biggest name so he's he's basically trying to form a industry coup to take it over and who could blame an athlete for doing the rock show if he says i'll pay a million dollars to the winner right yeah well i mean you know redcon just left the arnold classic i know yeah so I mean, Arnold Classics lost a huge sponsorship deal right there, and I don't think there's much of a power vacuum going on. Like, Arnold hasn't said, he hasn't named who the next big sponsor is going to be. I've heard it's Mutant, which is not a big company. Really? Yes, not Mm -hmm. a big company, who are probably throwing all their chips into one basket, hoping it pays off for them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Whereas Redcon can say, oh, fuck your freedom. How about go fuck you? We're big enough where we can do our own thing. And they move on. And I was, I, I kind of respected them for that decision. I mean, I believe in the First Amendment, say what you will, but at the same time, don't get pissed at Redcon for saying, hey, this is our belief system, and yeah. we're going to separate ourselves from that right. because it's just not our ideology. So mm-hmm. I was cool with that, but oh, yeah. not to get on a political tangent, but uh, but we're almost at an hour here. Anything else you want to throw in there? I think it's it, man. Appreciate well, you having me on. Oh, man, was, I really enjoyed it. It's good. If people want to get in touch with you or see what you're all about, where should they mm-hmm. go? Uh, you can check out the originalworkout.net website. Um, I also have my own website, danielfriedel.com. Check that out. Um, I've got two books on Amazon. If you want to check those out, if you're interested in grappling, um, Jiu-Jitsu Times actually did a cover piece on one of my books, which is really cool. I got That's my awesome. little 15 minutes of fame in the Jiu-Jitsu community. <laughs> So I've got a kettlebell book on there. I'm working on my third book now, but that's more of like a professional book. That isn't for like your average gym goer. So I've got the kettlebell book up. I've got the resistance training for grapplers called Phoenix Fit on there. So check that stuff out. I've got a YouTube channel if you just want to, you know, work on some technique for various exercises. So they can find all this on DanielFordell.com. Yep. Correct. Yep. I'll throw those links up when we put Yeah, we'll put the link. We'll we'll put the links on the show notes. So everybody go to the website, follow him on Instagram, follow the YouTube channel, go to Amazon and buy a book. I've read the books. They're fantastic, super informative, no matter what level you're at. So I highly encourage you to do that. You have a podcast too, right? Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) I just, I have my hand in too many different pots. So we have the Active Dads podcast and we're going to have Rob on there like in the next couple of weeks we haven't pinned down and that'll be active yet. granddad's podcast <laughs> I mean, edition, kids right? too so well, yeah like yeah happy's podcast <laughs> <laughs> so yeah look for that so yeah so that that's pretty cool all right well everybody go to the website give him a follow all of his all his information is really on point very informative and it's put in a way where everybody can get benefit and understand. Mm-hmm. So we really appreciate you being on. And maybe and you'll no come problem. back again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe when you release the new book or if you have anything going on or, mm-hmm. you know, and or when you make black belt. When is that going to happen? Uh, it's going to be at least three years because oh. I'm not getting my black belt until Beber <laughs> gives it to me. And uh-huh. Beber has to be a one stripe black belt before I can get mine. Oh, okay. Uh, I told him I didn't want it from anybody else. So uh-huh. you're currently a brown belt, right? Yep. Uh-huh. And now are there different stripes or levels to the brown oh, belt? Oh, yeah. I'll get four stripes on the brown belt before I'm promoted black. Most okay. people hang out brown belt like a year, a year and a half before they go to black. But I told Beber that he's the only person I want on my, birth, my black belt certificate. So it's going to be at least three years. Fantastic. Yep. Well, that'll be something else to get you on about. Oh, yeah, so. definitely. Thanks a lot for being here, man. We yeah. really enjoyed Ain't it. No problem. Thank it you. It was a lot Absolutely. of fun. We didn't have to do anything. We let you do all the fucking work. That's great. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs>
Because <laughs> I'm sure people are tired of hearing us weighing on about all that bullshit. Absolutely. So, uh, thanks again, yep. man. And everybody go uh, check out Daniel's website and follow him now. And uh, next week, or sometime in the next You're week. You're out of town so, next week. The week I'm after. out of town next week, so maybe the weekend or the week after that, we'll find a spot to do our big QA yeah. Yeah. Uh, podcast. We've got a, an active link on the Ketogenic Bodybuilding Facebook group. Uh, we can still take more questions. We've got probably, gosh, it's like I 20. Think it's like 30, actually. There's like 30 yeah. questions up there. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna try to hit everyone that's not stupid. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, how many quality oh, we, questions? We have two of those, yeah. <laughs> so right now, I think there's three of the 30 that aren't stupid. But no, just kidding. So uh, put your question up there. We'll answer it. And it could be about anything. So uh, just throw it on there. But until next time, train hard, diet harder, and have a great night. See you. See you.